All right. <clears throat> Welcome to the One Life, One Chance podcast. I'm your host, Toby Morse. Today, I have a very, very special uh, guest blessing my kitchen once again. Not once again, but somebody else blessing my kitchen. Uh, welcome to the podcast, uh, Nate Albert. Hey, thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. Um, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Life's good, right? Life is amazing. It's an interesting time right now. It is crazy. Um, especially like being in the music business. It's a very uh, surreal time. It is absolutely nuts. Um, is there anything you've been doing during this lockdown that you just learned how to do, like something new? Um, that I've learned how to... Zoom... Yeah, um, uh, that's all the rage. Microsoft Teams, uh, Slack, all of that <laughs> technology stuff. I'm like on all of it now. Okay. It's crazy. What, what, is, what is Slack? Slack is like this group chat almost. If there's like 50 people working on something, somebody will say something in the middle of the thing or put an article and you can all see it and go look at Ooh. it and talk to people. You know about that? Okay, sorry. I'm not in that world. We, um, we had all this stuff, just didn't use any of it. Now I'm like over. Okay, it's been, uh, Zoom has been here for a minute too, right? Zoom's been, yeah, now it's like my day is Zoom. I feel like Slack should be the name of some of the homeschooling. It because should, yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> I'm seeing my son, he's like on his phone and he's on that. It's like so much stimulation. I like, put your phone away. He's like, no, I'm good. I'm, I'm paying attention. I'm playing like a video. I'm playing like a surf video game. You can't do that. And, and the people talking over one another on there, like the homeschooling thing is really an interesting thing. It's only been the second week right now, right? Yeah. We're, we're in our first week. It's okay. crazy. It is crazy. It's a new world. It is a new world for sure. And uh, I just realized too, you're turning 50 this year as well. You're 1970. I am. That's right. Um, yeah. I had my birthday in a couple months ago in the lockdown. Um, my friends came by and beeped their horns. Happy late birthday. Them. Happy Thank late you. birthday. Thank you. Yeah. But it was weird to have my birthday like in my front yard. And then my wife said, just hang out. We're, gonna, we're having fun out here. I'm like, cool. And then all of a sudden, beep, beep. And then like a parade of my friends came. It was nice. Oh, that's so nice. It was cool. That's awesome. Um, so you were born in Massachusetts? Yeah. Well, no, no. I was born in Maine. But, okay. then, but then we moved to Massachusetts when I was about a year old. To Cambridge. Cambridge. Yeah. I was born in Taunton. How far is that? Oh, you want, oh Taunton. Maybe like there was a ramp in Taunton we used to go to. Oh, wow. Maybe uh, 20 minutes okay. from Cambridge, 20 to 30. Yeah, yeah. And then we had the Brockton Mall. I think that was somewhere. Brockton, in the yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> that right out there. Yeah, so you used to skate. Are we going to get to Okay. Yeah. So, so you have brothers and sisters? Uh, older brother. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And w was he into the same stuff as you? My older brother's Mar uh, name's Marty, and uh, he's five years older. He got me into all this music whole thing. He was uh, um, a roadie, roadie for SSD control and oh, Stranglehold. And so when, when I was a little kid, he was like around spring and all those dudes. He's one wow. of the dudes running up the stairs on that uh, SSD cover. Holy yeah. shit. Damn. Yeah. So you were young when you started playing music, right? Yeah, I was... Um, well, Joe Gittleman, who's in the Boston's, and I both went to a super hippie grade school. Maybe, okay. maybe like a hundred kids. At a school called the Fairweather Street School, and okay. we started doing music in that school um, when I was around eleven. Like wow. seriously, like we're we're, make, we're doing a band. Joe's two years older than me. Okay, but then the first time I played out was with a, a I guess jumped on stage with a, a band called Stranglehold, and I was thirteen. Stranglehold, okay, yeah. Yeah, I read that. I was like, 13 years old? That's freaking crazy. Yeah, weird. And the Boston's were already kind of starting then as Okay, well. so what year would that have been? That's... Uh, 1983. 1983. Yeah. So how was it growing up for you in Massachusetts? How was your family? You had like a strict family? You guys religious? No, my parents had divorced. That's why we moved to Cambridge. Okay. So when I was really little. And then uh, we grew up outside of Harvard Square, and it was just like most of my friend's parents were divorced, and it was just mayhem. So it's like skateboarding, BMX, you know, everybody was in kind the of streets. On the, in the streets and everybody, we kind of created our own little family vibe. We had yeah. a quarter pipe, a bunch of our friends had half pipes or quarter pipes and we just would go from ramp to ramp to ramp. 
That's awesome. And yeah. your, your brother got you into that. My brother, yeah. My brother grew up um, skating with Jake Phelps and th- all those guys when Jake lived in Boston. Wow. So like Larry Hitch, Gluehead, and Jake would come over to the house and be like the cool older guys. Yeah. Um, and super intimidating, super smart, mm-hmm. but also like our heroes. Yeah. And what did they... Uh, you remember City Bruzy in like Newport, Rhode Island? It was like the skate ramp there. I think a lot of people went to Newport and skated yeah, with it. Yeah. Water Brothers. Yeah. That whole that New stuff. England thing was nuts. Yeah. Fred Smith was out there. Fred Smith, yeah. And there was the uh, the Cambridge Pool. The Ringe Pool was the big place everybody would skate. It was like a two feet of vert, crazy concrete wow. thing. Yeah. So how were you in school? Did you did you like it? School? Uh, I've always loved school. I got a real, like one of the first guests like, that said yeah, that recently. No, I absolutely love school. Yeah. It's awesome. I th- we went, you know, my school... They asked me when I was, I forget what year, I was maybe seven or eight, and they said, what do you want to do? It was like a really progressive school, and I was like, I want to skateboard and write songs. And they're like, okay, we're going to figure that out for you. So wow, that's when I kind of got a a guitar teacher. I didn't really latch into I'm going to be in a band, but that was the beginning of me like noodling around and like trying to figure out how to do this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so did skating and punk rock kind of come together? Absolutely. I mean, it was all, I mean, Devo were also one of my favorite bands at Great that bands. time. And you know, there were skaters in their videos and it That's just right. was like that culture was married. hundred percent. Yeah. Punk rock and skateboarding. Like just the soundtracks of like bones brigade and all that stuff. With oh my God. Yeah. And all that. yeah, absolutely. So, um, were you a street skater? Yeah. Yeah. Mark Gonzalez was like sick. The dude. That's you awesome. Know? Yeah. What was like, uh, you have like a favorite trick? <sighs> no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, we got like, we were really into like ollieing trash cans and shit like that, and like Damn. you know, but it wasn't like um, Rodney Mullen shit. It wasn't yeah, none yeah, of yeah. that crazy. That's some next level shit. That was, that was absolutely next level. Shit. I skated Rodney Mullen back then. I skated street under Rodney Mullen and ramp under Rodney Mullen. People thought it was crazy, but I liked the skinny boards back then. Oh wow, yeah, and yeah, I, those little, yeah, yeah. And I would yeah. do I would do freestyle, and um, my claim to fame is I got in Thrasher in '83. At a Narragansett um, skate contest, I got second place. Oh, that's sick! And Fred Abong from Vicious Circle got uh, number one. Wow, yeah, very cool. Yeah, so that's my like, that's my whole freestyle career right there. But yeah, I love skating the mini, the little ramps like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what did you want to do in school? Did you want to do music? That was your main thing because you're in the music school, so that was your goal. And you graduated. I was doing well. This is grade school, so oh, then shit, okay. then. I I don't know. I think I've always just had like a voracious appetite for information. You know, like mm-hmm. for whatever reason, I just am really into figuring shit out and learning shit. So you got really good grades. Um, I eventually got really good grades. When I first, we, I went from that super small school that had 100 kids to a school that had 4,000 kids. Oh, shit. And I feel like no one's asking me for my homework. Cool. I'm just not going to do that shit. So mm. my first year was not good. But then I was like, <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll actually do my homework. So Yeah. Um, so you graduated, obviously. But you're, were you in the Boston's when you graduated? Mm. Yeah, it's so many. I was in the Boston's freshman year, sophomore year, wow. and most of junior year. And then I quit to finish high school. Like, I got to finish school. I'm going to not do the Boston's. And we were crazy. I mean, it was like skateboarding to band practice. Then I was playing 21 plus show. There was not, it wasn't mm. really the all ages shit yet. It was really like yeah. I was at places I should not have been for much of my life, <laughs> you know, with people. And I was always big, right? So I was like six yeah. feet tall, 200 pounds, and people thought I was older kid but i was like 14 and what did your parents think about you running around doing that stuff i think they had much more um strict upbringings right so they were they were allowing something which they they hadn't experienced themselves so there was a lot of freedom uh and my mother was a photographer so like the arts were a big part of her world and it felt like okay let us be liberated 
but with that, the baby was thrown out with the bathwater for sure. Like mm. there, were, there were no rails. Yeah, yeah, and there was yeah. a lot of drugs back then, and people uh, scared me straight for sure. There was a lot of people like you know that I knew that were heroin addicts or going wow. to jail for whatever, and they were like, "Dude, don't do this." So um, I saw a lot of bad stuff happen, in lo- I, but it's I so easily could have slipped into that yeah. shit, you know. Yeah, so you didn't try, you didn't experience drugs at that age, young age? No, I tried a couple of things, but never, never, I never was like the heroin thing just always seemed like horrifying and, yeah. and terrifying to yeah. me. Yeah, that's, that's pretty intense, especially for that age. That's but I like had friends who were doing it. That were my brother, some of my brother's friends were like in Wow, the, in, in that's the, similar to me a little bit. My brothers were partying around me and they kind of scared me straight as well. Like they got me to punk rock and skateboarding, but then I wasn't down with the weed smoke and the drinking and the right. fucking having parties at the house. My mom was working and shit, so. Yeah. I thanked him for that for sure. Right. Um, so you graduated. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then I was like, um, the Boston's got back together when I was about 18. I think we got back together and we were making what we thought was a record for, uh, I think it was called Oi records or something in, in, in England. They had reached out, but that like morphed into, you know, Curtis found out about it and turned into the devil's night out basically. Wow. Yeah. So did you that was so you graduated and your goal was music then or did you have some other I uh, yeah I had some I had some weird thing about like um how do I get how do I do in what way am I going to do music you mm-hmm. know um as a career as a career and I still just feel like writing songs or helping other people with songs or production or marketing plans or tour strat everything i just yeah. love figuring all that shit out like i absolutely love it it's crazy so even even at that age you thought about producing stuff or yeah yeah it was, mm-hmm. i mean i i had gone to summer school at berkeley college of music when i was 15 okay to study guitar and um or maybe no i was 16 i was 16 that summer and um so that opened me up to there's all these jobs in the music industry there's all and plus you know Al had Exclaim Records and yeah. there was Discord and there were all these people just had their own labels and I was like that is amazing mm-hmm. so that seemed like a more of a plot. I never thought it was like major label was not the thing in my head at all I was yeah. like okay we're gonna make our own label or I'm gonna make a label that was more where I am now just seems absolutely insane yeah it's crazy yeah. <laughs> yeah. were you working jobs when you when you got out of school like when you graduated uh no well no, not really. It was kind Straight of like, music. it was kind of like, yeah, the Boston's, we were getting cut little bits of money, you know, for shows and it was fine. Yeah. And I was still living at home. And I, I remember re- thinking and articulating, if I could only make, you know, I think it was like 300 or 400 bucks a week forever playing guitar. Like I'm good. That was like my thing. I was yeah. just like, I just want to play guitar, just have enough to be able to get food, have an apartment. I'd be psyched. Wow. And then I also remember hearing that that like um, I think Minor Threat had sold fifty thousand records, which absolutely blew my mind. And I thought like <laughs> if we could sell fifty thousand records, that would just like I couldn't even wrap 50, my head. Fifty thousand. So, so how did Devil's Night Out do? I mean, I it came out. Was it EP or full length? It was a full length. Okay. We had recorded some of it before we broke up the first time, so okay. some of it's recorded in nineteen eighty five, and the rest mm. of it is like nineteen eighty. Nine eighty-eight, eighty-nine. I think um, it did okay. I mean, it sold hundreds of thousands of yeah. copies by now. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, probably. But sure. Though. But um, it, it came out and people dug it. It was weird. It was like other people were listening to similar records, and mm-hmm. we just put them all together. Yeah, it's it's a good. It was good. Such a good mesh of all different styles of stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's it's a pretty original style. 
I mean, it's not just yeah. ska. It's everything you mix. It's, you guys are hardcore punk kids as well. And yeah. It's a blueprint kind of, I think, for me, for like what I look for in in other artists or new artists, which is basically like taking your record collection and stuff you love and just boom, mm-hmm. creating the new. Yeah, 100%. Your own lane and shit. Yeah. And you, you guys were received back then? No. No, it was a, <laughs> <laughs> it was a disaster. We were. <laughs> I have these great pictures of like uh, us in front of nobody. I mean, it really yeah. was like, what are you guys doing? Yeah, because uh, everyone was trying to be like the Ramones or trying to be like Cheap Trick or, mm-hmm. or trying to be, you know, there was like this cool guy thing. And I think we had already jumped into this thing about including everybody and being yeah. more about love and and like people are invited as opposed to exclusionary. Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, even for at sure. the it's earliest a big party, thing. big family. Yeah, and we were really like um, subverting the like the cool aesthetic. We were kind of like we're gonna we're not gonna do that. Yeah. So did you guys hit the road when that came out? Yeah, we hit the road with Murphy's Law. I mean, it was wow. like m- crazy. Jack Flanagan, uh, Joe Gittleman knew Jack and hooked mm-hmm. us up, and Jack started managing us, and we opened. And that was like baptism by fire, like how to tour and what yeah, it all man. means and like i was just like holy smoke this is crazy yeah and they probably had just come off the beastie boys tour back then yeah it was yeah. like that energy was like that's what you know part of what the don't know how to party is about the boss there's like yo these guys are like next <laughs> we level. don't know how to do that <laughs> whatever's happening over there that is not you know yeah next level yeah next level that's yeah. what i had angela moore and yes he talked about being on the beasties murphy's law tour mm. no Be- beasties yeah, that toy. Mm-hmm. So it was crazy, man. Yeah. It's like a movie, man. Yeah. It's wild. And yeah. then I, I was talking about Adam Blake, his first tour mm-hmm. after being in shelter, being a monk, uh, ha, uh, had to clean shave, couldn't masturbate, right. li- lived in a monk, had all these rules. Yeah. And they went on tour with Murphy's Law. Oh, my God. And Jimmy Gestapo got his first lap dance, and then his whole life changed. Like everything changed from that tour. He got his first tattoo, the beer and water tour tattoo. <laughs> but he went from this world like Murphy's all. Like, they'll, they'll fucking right. quote unquote pop your cherry. I guess if it's like a, right. really take you on a tour, like this is gonna yeah. some all night party and shit. Yeah, like just living to the fullest. That's why I always love Jimmy. Jimmy Stop was one of the greatest front men. You yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah, he can get a party started. Oh my god, yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's your first kind of tour experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had done a handful of other shows. Like we played played with Bad Manners outside of Boston, like small New England stuff. But that was like we're going away. I remember we got yeah. we, we hit the toll booth in the van, and people were like jumping out, like I'm out of I'm out of the van. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> like we, you know what I mean? Like we yeah. hadn't figured out how to be civil to each other at all. Like everyone was hungover or drunk or like mm. it, was, it was you know because it, it was more like weekend tri-state things. Well, originally, and yeah. then, then then it was like that extended like, okay, you got to figure out your rhythm and get away from each other and like, you know, how to pace yourself. We hadn't really figured any of that out yet. Because that's the thing, like when you, when you really go on tour, you really realize like who's built for this and who you want in your band. Yeah, you know what I mean? like quickly. We, we, we had our original lineup and then we went to Europe on a bus for like nine weeks with Civ and sick of it all. Yeah. And then we realized who meshed and who didn't mesh. You know what I'm saying? Right. Who can handle it or deal with it or... Yeah, we used, used to have a saying, be your own boss tone. Mm. Like, like, go figure it out, man. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Be, you're responsible for your own world. But you guys like the Wu-Tang. You guys had a lot of members. There oh was a God. lot of people crammed into the vehicle. Yeah, you could. It, it was different <laughs> worlds, you know. It was like you could hang out with the horn players for a while and then go hang mm. out in the front lounge. be more Dick and Joe and then hang out in the middle. You know, it's like it, it, you definitely would make your... And all different yeah. personalities. All, all different. different personalities. So it's like, yeah, it's kind of cool though. 
Yeah, but there was really good chemistry, man. Like you can't, I've, you know, I've worked with so many different bands now and so many, I guess, different labels, so different teams. When you hit chemistry, it's just like you can't. Yeah. Mess with that. No matter what arguments happen or anything behind the scenes or like, y'all brothers is dysfunctional at times. Yeah. You all love each other. But when you get on stage or you make a record, this is something magical and it works with each other. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, part of it too, like I, I think it was about five years ago I read this, this study. It was a Google study about their teams. The teams that felt emotionally safe and shared their ideas had an IQ higher than any individual on that team. Wow. Right? So it elevated what they did. Mm-hmm. And it was they felt safe. And I think that bands are the same way like even if you fight and disagree the 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 skill set and the artistic um credibility and level of execution rises above any individual in that you get all these different points of view and it becomes this amazing thing that no one individually can recapture because it's about the whole yeah and and that that tension is the only way you get there the disagreeing is the good shit like when people start agreeing i'm like oh we're fucked like the more (laughs) i see that now yeah, people are really comfortable in a creative situation. It's not good, and I'm always trying to get people to be disoriented or uncomfortable or like mm-hmm. those things make great music. I think so too. It comes from all the, the yeah, you're right. The stress, just the different things, the different personalities, egos, just all that. But yeah. then it just gets out. It creates this energy. Right. It's only made by this group of people. Right. And yeah. And when you hear something back, like I never could have done that alone. That's like the best. Mm. You know, and it for me. So there's a lot of opinions, a lot of voting, all that stuff to get things to wait, right? Yeah. Sure, there the was like never voting, really. It was just, voting, kinda, just... It was kind of <laughs> it was kinda like, it's just, you know, it would happen. Yeah, somehow. yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, so so yeah. you toured on that for a while, then um, more noise and uh, other disturbances came out after yeah. that. How soon after that was that from Devil's Night I out? think we were already in it by the time Devil's came okay. out. And and. Some of the songs on Devil's Night Out were written when I was 14 and 15 years old, right? Wow. So they're really simple. And um, but where'd you go? And and some of that stuff that was on the second record um, was influenced by other other bands we were listening to, like the Pixies at that time. That Sick. kind of riff. Um, there was a there was so much more input all of a sudden mm-hmm. in like what we were doing. Yeah, and uh, we just kept go- going. I remember everyone kind of couldn't believe we had made the first record and they they kept not believing we were doing what we were Another doing one. like everybody <laughs> was like how did you do? wait a minute like like we yeah. were kind of starting to surpass all the cool kids mm. and our crowds just started getting crazy in boston they started getting nuts yeah boston's hard man i, mean, I know it's like this like a new york kind of boston rivalry sports whatever mm. but we had to go there a lot of times to get just people to clap like it's very it's a hard crowd yeah I, just just to break in boston not really break and be big but yeah. just to get people to follow you like you like mm-hmm. and it might have been coming from the new york scene whatever but it took a while playing the rat all the different venues to like a mama kin just all those places to get people like okay we, we get it you know what i mean like we had a real like awareness of the propaganda element of all this mm-hmm. like and we we literally for the same reason created a intro tape that had a chant for ourselves on it so we were chanting mighty mighty boss tones like on the tape that's sick and then kids just started doing it they thought people behind them might be doing it or some (laughs) shit and then it just got bigger and then we didn't need that anymore but it was absolutely crazy planted that seed yeah it was a similar like we were having a um we were having a lunch and we kept getting described as all these weird things in the press like funky jazzy and we were like let's come up with a name and we came up with the name scott core over a lunch Mm. and then like just this is what we are 
so that people could box it yeah for themselves huh because we felt like fishbone kind of got fucked by that because they're so talented and they were such our north star in terms of awesomeness yeah but they got they were like what are they you know mm. they were the leaders yeah you know and there, so no there was no name for that style yeah yeah we talked yeah we hard, dumbed like, ourselves down <laughs> by <name laughs> but it was hard to like put him in a category you're right because there was so many different mm-hmm. things happening there yeah that's interesting <clears throat> And then was that this around the time of uh, Clueless or was that later? That was way that was later. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. But Don't Know How to Party was next. Yeah, Don't Know How to Party was like our we so we were selling out all these venues and all these major labels just started coming out. That's because they were yeah. seeing we were number 1 on the college charts um forever. Like cuz kids would come see us and we play all these schools so they yeah. kept playing us and um this Capital Republic all that, right? Yeah, it was uh, at well at that time it was like Atlantic, it was MCA we end up signing at Mercury, Same but Mercury. Um, all these other bands would drop out of the top 10 and we just stayed in there. And then Damn. they started flying out to see our shows and our, the shows were just crazy yeah. at that time. And they're like, okay, we don't know. I remember their pitch was like, we have no idea what you're doing and we have no <laughs> idea why people like you, but we know people like you and we mm-hmm. want to get involved. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. So those, so, um, don't know how to party. Mm-hmm. And that, and that, Goes all the way back to the Murphy's Law are inspired by that name, right? Yeah. Basically, and what yeah. these dudes are fucking. Yeah. Yeah. So that so the so with the other two, Devil's Night Out and the other one, were they in major labels or no? No, Tang Records. Oh, Tang Records. Yeah, that's Tang. right. Yeah. So don't know how to party. Before we put out, don't know how to party. We put out a EP called Scott Core, The Devil and More. Yeah. Which is like our our kind of intro to um, the major label world, and then that turned in Devil's Night Out. And then the next thing was Question the Answers. After that. Yeah, were people tripping on you guys going to a major back then? Was it a thing before the internet? Like, going um, to a major label? You know, no, because what mm. happened was um, Nirvana and Soundgarden and all of these bands got started getting signed to major labels. Everyone, the Lemonheads, the Blake, like everybody in Bo- Dinosaur Jr., everyone was on a major label. Our studio, Fort Apache, where we made our records, got their own record label through MCA. And I think they were giving like 20 million bucks a year, something crazy. Dang. They were signing bands. Everybody had a record deal. It was like, okay. so it's like we were just the next guys that got a record deal at that point. And so where were you at that point? Like before we went to major, you guys had a buzz around the whole America? Like Yeah. Were- yeah. We had luckily during the Tang time, this very weird thing happened where they were they they wanted Spike Lee had done a series of little documentary kind of ads for Levi's. There was like a fish market one and okay. there was a couple. And then Converse wanted to do their own version of that. And they did, I think Larry Bird was in one, Bernard King, and then we were in the other wow. one. Wow. The residuals from that allowed us to tour. We just used it as tour support. Holy yeah, shit. That. It's huge. Yeah. And then, so by the time we were on a major, we already had like a national fan base. Yeah. Out, which cool. And so on um, Question and the Answers, that was a big one. The first like really big well, no, it was like, that was kind of like the major label disappointment because really? we went from, yeah, yeah, it was like. So many bangers on there. And that's like the record for like a real Boston's fan, Dickie and I talk about it. It's like, <laughs> everyone loves that record because it's so immediate. Yeah. And there's so much energy in it. But in terms of sales, like we almost got dropped on that record. I remember Tom Wally, who I, who I had met I remember later. I name. Yeah, Tom was going to sign us to uh, Interscope. Okay. Uh, you know, but then Mercury... What ended up happening is Danny Goldberg, who who had managed Nirvana and was trying to sign us to Atlantic, became the president of our label. Okay. And he's like, I'm not letting you guys go. You're not going to get dropped. You're going to make another record for Mercury. And the next record was Let's Face It, which was... Damn, man. 
And our booking agent who got us Lollapalooza in between those two events became our A&R person. All right. So before we get to the space, I think we played shows before that. Yeah. Because I know we ended up doing a bunch of tours. We went to Florida, the guys, and we're playing Janice Landing, like mm-hmm. some great tours. And once I have Dickie on here someday, um, someday, I suppose, he came to one of our shows at the Wetlands and he saw us play. And then Monday, my booking agent and manager got a call saying, hey, mm-hmm. Dickie was at the show and wants to take you on tour. And just like that, we were on tour playing with you guys. And I thought that was just because you randomly saw us at the Wetlands. It was yeah. pretty awesome. Yeah. And we loved you guys. Like the vibe is so positive and Thank great, you, man. and the energy was awesome. And it was fun touring you guys, and and that tour like it, it exposed us to so many people that knew nothing about. It was just great. It was a challenge even that win people over. But the crowds were super open minded and yeah, really really fun, man. Yeah, there was a good love vibe in the Boston's crowd, which I always thought yeah. was amazing. You know, and it was really smart, you guys. I was always wondering they played colleges a lot, but that was a really smart thing to do, man. Yeah, nobody was really doing the college circuit. Yeah, yeah, it gave us the ability to kind of buy time also in new england there's so many schools so yeah. we could go out and just play a ton of stuff and just get better and better and better and hone what we were doing but those college shows were nuts because we ended up playing with de la soul and tribe called quest and run Sick. dmc and like and tito puente and like there were so many crazy bills that should not have happened yeah but were such a, a great you know moment yeah. for us and and a normal club would never do you know de la soul with the boss tones nah. opening up like, it's like a european festival or something yeah, yeah exactly that's what they felt like that's mm-hmm. exactly what they felt like at the colleges very progressive and very smart you know yeah. it's cool. It cool so leading up to that record so you about to get dropped on the record before <clears throat> and then let's face it well so we're shooting a video for for a song called uh, hell of a hat in new york city okay and tim and lars show up from rancid mm-hmm. and they and they're working on Outcome the Wolves and Tim's got a DAT player, which is like the first digital mobile digital recording thing and headphones. He's like, "Yo, we're making this record. You got to check it out." And I'm listening. I'm like, "What the fuck? How did you do this?" And and he was like, "Dude, we did this thing called demoing. Like we we wrote all these songs before <laughs> we recorded them and we picked the best ones and we're making the record. It like literally blew my mind. Oh, like yeah, I, demos, making demos. Yeah, the concept of just like." <laughs> write a draft before you make the record has become the foundation of my professional life literally yeah. like and a game changer for everybody a lot of it, it's like yeah yeah and i went to dickie and joe i was like we are gonna do this and that's exactly what we did is like we we wrote way too many songs and honed it down and it mm-hmm. took the pressure off every song just became you didn't know which was gonna do it, it was almost like firing squad mentality yeah so you could be more bold almost and um and then that that's how that record came together. I think it's why it elevated everything so much. So before that, you just make enough songs just to make a record. We would, I mean, Dickie, I remember doing Question the Answers and we're in, we're with uh, the Butcher Brothers in Philly and we're, we were doing this song 365 Days, which I was really into this like just weird time signature riff that I'd put together. And Dickie was in the hallway writing, writing lyrics, just trying to figure it out. Like we were, we were on the road so much. There yeah. was no downtime so we would book time in the middle of touring to record and the songs yeah. weren't always done mm. um so we didn't know what we were doing till we would hear it back and sometimes it was like oh my god like that's a disaster <laughs> but it was so honest because we weren't in our own way almost you know yeah, what i mean yeah, yeah. it wasn't like there were yeah. no opinions it was just this is it let's put it out kind of shit so you made demos for a while for let's face it um like yeah on that? yeah we 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 yeah I wonder where they all are. That's That'd be sick to release that, dude. Yeah, some of those. I know, like, I think Royal Oil, we used the demo drums because we couldn't recapture mm. that. And, and then we, you know, but there's somewhere Joe might have them. So at this, so, so what's the ante- anticipation on this record from the label? They're about to drop you. 
now it's like almost do or die with the label. But the guy says he has your back regardless, right? So it's not that much pressure. Right? Yeah. I, I mean, it's a weird time. Like I'm having, the, the, in my personal life, my mom had gotten really sick. Okay. So I, my, my attention had gone, went, had gone from the boss tone. So like all of a sudden my mom's on hospice care. Wow. So man. I'm like thinking about that. And, and I think that I had just kind of like, like pulled back and Dick and Joe kind of took in where I was like dealing with more family stuff, which was amazing. Yeah. Um, But I do remember driving and hearing no doubt and going, Oh shit, there's a moment that is happening. Like, you know, when Mm. like grunge had happened and it had gotten so dark and then all of a sudden it was like sublime, no doubt. Like this shit just started rancid. Like all of these songs started coming out that were like our green day offspring. Yeah. 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 And, and all of a sudden we were in it. Wow. Yeah. So did you do a lot of the, you wrote a lot of the songs originally, right? Mm-hmm. The main song already. Yeah. yeah. So the Let's Face It record. So when that came out, did you do a video before or do a video once it came out? Did they test the waters and they dropped the record first? <sighs> no, we had, there was a, uh, what had happened is there was a shooting at a women's health clinic in Brookline, Mass. Where this guy went in and uh, they, they did abortions and he, sh- he killed some people. And we, we had had a record label called Big Rig, which we started. And yeah, I was like, Big Rig, yeah. I was like, we're going to do a benefit record. And I put together this record called Safe and Sound. And Impression was on that record. Wow. That song took on this whole other life and was like a hit. So we were having this hit while we were finishing the record Holy through this shit. other thing. Yeah. So we yeah. got a hit before it even got fucking put out. Yeah. And I didn't, I don't think any of us, including myself, understood what any of that meant, really. Mm-hmm. But the label knew what it meant. And it meant, you know, you guys are going to do a video, going to do this. And everything started got very seriously. Real, it yeah, got real yeah, serious got too, really right? Got serious, yeah. So was that exciting? Were you two in the moment and dealing with your mom to like be in that moment of excitement of doing that all, all happening fast? It or? It, you know, my mom's thing ended up being a much more extended like kind of decline, which was great and terrible, but great for me. But mm. it kept me insanely grounded on some level. yeah. And also, um, I mean, bummed on another level. You know, there were parts that were just fucking terrible about it. And I, yeah. got, I got super dark at periods. And that's where Dick and Joe had to kind of like take it up because I was raised by my mom. This was like the okay. person. And I was also in this like, where do I need to be to be a good human being? Like with my mom right now, on tour right now. Mm. Um, so I think, you know, I kind of split it where there was a lot of support from her and I was out there and I was doing it. But I also had this thing like I kind of wanted to be home all the time. Yeah, as well. yeah. So the record comes out. I know we did. I know we did at least a couple tours on that record. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I always talk about the Boston's that I hold so dearly is that from the minute we played with you guys or met you guys, at least in our eyes, and I know it's true that none of you guys changed from any of that shit. Like you guys are the same dudes hanging out with us on the tours before you had hit song on the radio or MTV mm. and humble. You taught us how to be respectful and treat the opening bands because the way you guys treated us. And that taught us a lot about being like professionals on the road. And that, and just being there and witnessing that for you guys and, all the, and how long you guys have been around for, how hard you worked. And actually being on tour, seeing the reaction to those songs. Mm. I was so happy for you guys. It was exciting. And it wasn't affecting how you guys treated other people. You stayed very humble. Yeah. Well, I, and I think, I think being that large group, we were so... Um, we you were check e- each other? all the time 
That's yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like literally all, <laughs> all the time. And we were at it for so long. It wasn't like some dudes that met in like a, like a, like a music back page to like start a band that sounded like <laughs> you know Soundgarden. It was like yeah. you know we were kids and not know how to play, and we were there because we loved each other mm-hmm. as friends and as people, brothers and brothers. And we eventually figured it out. Yeah. And so when all that happened, we were so kind of ready in a weird way, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also we did feel this real um, weight of treating other bands right because there was so much bad that was going on. Yeah, you know. Shout out to Higgins too. Oh, absolutely. He's always holding it down, man. Oh my God, yeah. He was Higgs. there from day one, pretty much, right? Higgs was there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Crazy. Higgs is great. Um, so that that record, you guys tore like crazy on that record. Yeah, man. yeah, it was crazy. And there's more than one single. Yeah, it's a couple. Yeah. Um, there was uh, Impression, yep. uh, Rascal King, and Royal Oil. Those are the ones that were kind of like pushed off it. But the one, there's also this song, Let's Face It, that the the, the album is named after, which yeah. is basically like, don't be racist, don't be sexist, don't be a bigot. Yeah. Don't, you know, this, this, it seemed at a time, there was a, a conversation like, is this trite? Is it too on the nose? But like, given what we were seeing touring the South and in America kind of under the hood, it felt like a really important song and important shit to say yeah. more than ever. It's so weirdly, even now, still you know, really, yeah, of course, especially now. Yeah, you know, just yeah. the basics. Yeah, you know. So that was a, that was a strong. It was a strong record across the board. Yeah. So did you guys tour on that for like a year, a year or two at least, right? I think it was almost two years. Damn, man. Yeah. I was yeah. sacrificing going on there. Everybody leaving there. It's a lot of sacrificing in the band. You're touring and you lose like, especially cause we are touring. It went from, you know, us to Europe, to us, Europe, Australia, New Zealand, Japan, like everywhere, Mexico, Did radio shows. I'm sure tons of radio shows, tons of festivals, tons of TV shows yeah. all over the world. Yeah. And you lost seasons. It was super strange. Yeah. The whole thing was, was absolutely I mean, surreal. So SNL, Letterman, Conan O'Brien, John Stewart. Yeah. Um, and then was Clueless around that too? Clueless was before. It was in between. Okay, yeah. It was after Let's Face It. It was after Question the Answers of before Let's Face It. And it was kind of like uh, the perfect training ground for what do you need to do on a big stage? Mm-hmm. What do you not need to do <laughs> on a big stage? Did you have fun being in that? I mean, we spent most of the summer playing ping pong with Beck or the Pavement or the Jesus Lizard. Like those guys, like wow. we, we played our show, but it was so early. Yeah. And then you're just, you know, hanging out with these other guys. Yeah. And it was weird because we were so musically from different planets, but so similar as mm-hmm. people. Like everybody was skateboarders or BMXers. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, listening to alternative music, but just different areas of it. You know? Yeah. So crazy. Do you remember filming Clueless? I, I remember. Yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> we had tax problems. Like our, 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 oh, our so this is the story is our accountant at the time was also Aerosmith's account, but I, I forget the person's name, but they had been running something through like our per diems and there were taxes mm. not paid on in, in anyway, the IRS is like, yo, you owe us a lot of money. And we um, were like, Oh shit. And then uh, so around the same time, Amy Heckerling, who also directed yeah, Amy. Yeah. Yeah. Also directed fast times at Ridgemont high was like a fan of ours. And they were interested in us being in this movie. So we were already like 75% there. Okay, great. Okay. Uh, and then, they put me in touch with Scott Rudin who produced it to like vet the kind of thing. I don't know why I became that guy, <laughs> but there was like this Nirvana like thing of them being filmed on the stage with the psych. And we all thought that looked so cool. So I basically like 
they wanted us to be in a frat house and I described what I thought it should look like, which mm-hmm. is what they created the scene to look yeah. like, which was great. Um, but when we showed up, we were in LA and in Hollywood West and we got um, picked up. I think we were in like the Grafton yeah, hotel yeah. or something. And the Teamster guy picked us up. I think it was around five in the morning and we were like driving to set, which was at the LA County museum. And, uh, like what's this movie about what's it like and he's like i've worked in hollywood for 30 years and this is the worst movie i have ever worked on in my life and he was like down to earth like could have been on our crew so we were like yeah. this is the voice of god speaking in here mm-hmm. the minute we get to set we're calling new york calling our manager trying to get out of it like at the wow, beginning dude. and then we met people and everybody was cool we're like okay we're gonna we're gonna we are moving forward we're gonna do this it's gonna be fine but it was like it was a big movie man yeah, we had no idea. I remember Thurston Moore coming up to me on Lollapalooza. He's like, dude, that movie's really good. We just went to see it. <laughs> <laughs> it was like the cool older kids, you know? Yeah. Like, Whoa, really? Thanks, man. And then Diggy staged out, dude. It was uh, so good, man. Yeah, I think in retrospect, I mean, it's so much fun. It's like it, it, she did such a great job with that movie. But yeah, like, man. we had no perspective. We're like, yeah. Know, of all the movies that could have been made at that time, I, I'm, I'm thrilled that we were part of it's that. We were very cla- lucky, it's a, it's man. It's a classic, dude. It's a it's classic like, movie, yeah. It's just celebrated a certain amount of years or something. I saw something about that. And yeah. Yeah. It keeps coming. So you have a song in there. That's freaking huge, man. Yeah. Two of them. Two songs. That's yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. We lucked out. That was also very helpful in terms of like the mm-hmm. whole everything. I imagine. Yeah. It was great. Those work like royalties, almost like uh, records. Right? Yeah. Cycles you get. So, okay, yeah. 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 And so yeah. do you get like screen acting guild stuff because you're in the movie? You get like a. Yeah, they kind of they kind of were like for me and Joe and and Dick because we kind like there's a scene in the end where it's me and Joe and they're like, well, you kind of spoke, so you're SAG now. Wow. Yeah. You still in it? No, I, I haven't paid any SAG dues. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose if I paid the like, however much I owe at this point, who knows? Yeah. Um. All right. So then we got pay attention next. Yeah, pay attention. So okay, is there pressure? There must be so much pressure after such a hit record, though. No. Well, th- so for me, I had a particularly bizarro the period because i had decided this is on the let's face it tour leading into pay attention i decided okay i'm i'm i have to leave the band i can't tour anymore because my mom is now really sick okay. and i'm like what am i going to do and i was also getting untethered from reality on some level from okay. this tour and i came to this conclusion that i didn't know anything okay so i applied to school brown university and, yep and there was a program if you were 25 or older and i was just 25 Damn. That was they they accept I think five or six people a year, and it's mostly military people or ballet dancers, and then I, I and you were both I'm I was both <laughs> I was a, I was a triple threat, um, so I, I I applied and got in I remember but it was I got into Brown as everything was exploding, and then it was a really exciting week and then just had to defer, mm. like like I paused my entry to fi- finish all the obligations to that record uh, but i do think the band thought i was full of shit like you're you just need a break you're not really yeah you know. being detached from reality is something that um uh, angelo was speaking about how you know he was told when he got on the warp to like you don't have to touch your own gear mm-hmm. you just come on stage we'll give you a thing everything is set up for you yeah and this is how musicians are supposed to be treated yeah he's like i like they keep you in the, they keep in this little world where you just like you're protected and you come up and do your thing you walk off mm-hmm. you take your gear you go on the bus and hotel you're done yeah. So that's kind of like this thing where you're not really in reality, but you're traveling all these places mm-hmm. in the world, but you're in your little bubble, right? Like kind of that, that's the normal thing. Mm-hmm. I started going to museums and like Sick. I got really into art history all over the world. So I would get wow. up early skateboard or ride my bike or run and go out and have like a day of seeing and shit. see the world. 
museums especially I love because I'd be like, you know, being in a band, you know this, it's like a party for yourself every day, which is a bad thing psychologically. That's not mm -hmm. real. Not so real. if you go and you see something that's 4,000 years old or, you know, it, you go, okay, this is a moment in time. You get a lot more perspective. It's very healthy. Yeah. Helpful. And so you feel kind of disconnected at yeah. that point. Yeah. To, um, to Angela's point, I mean, it's, it's designed to hold you. And on top of that, you are getting a dose of adrenaline every night. Every night. And they're going to figure out how to go to sleep and then wake up and get the dose of adrenaline. Over and over again, man. Over and over again. It, 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 it's, it's a grind, man. And then for people like Dickie, who's singing, it's worse because he's got to wake up, do promo all day. I know. Get, figure out how to get the sound check or not, and then get on stage and then do promo after. And then like his... He's like doing, your machine. Yeah, he's doing three jobs. Yeah. And I can do one and sit in the back of the lounge and listen to punk rock and records And save your voice and sing a whole entire set. Yeah. You get sleep. Yeah, exactly. You kind of lose your mind. Yeah. And everyone just has totally different experiences through touring. And they also have like a different perspective. So here you are on MTV, you have this huge hit. Yeah. And you see you guys playing every night, but it's like you're flying, you get no sleep, all that. It's, 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 even if you're in a bus and you're flying, it still beats on you. You're still a human yeah. being. It's, yeah. It's draining, man. Yeah. It's super draining. And you guys were nonstop, but you were young too. That's yeah. another thing. Yeah. Yeah. We were. It was weird. <laughs> but going to school, I remember I had, it was the, the tour was almost two years long, and then I had a week off, and then I started school, and everyone kind of had a little bit of a break. And it wow. literally felt like I was entering some sort of spa. Like mm. everybody, everything was like trying to make you healthy. Like, yeah. do you need anything? It was crazy. Did people recognize you went to school from being in the band? Some people did, but it was a kind of school where like, I was in a class with George Harrison's son, Donnie Harrison. Nice. And I'm, I'm like, dude's dad, you know, like yeah. th that. And the woman from this girl who was in Rushmore was in the school. And the, you know, there was like a lot of like fame and mm -hmm. kids of famous people. So there was never like, um, it was never weird, yeah. You know, to my knowledge. So, did, so was there pressure for pay attention because of that? Would you guys feel pressure? Um, after you have three hits like that and all that shit. Yeah, yeah. I I think that there was a there was a um a, a more of a sense that this was just gonna go on forever, almost yeah. too. Like you're just gonna have more hits, and it's just gonna kind of keep going. You, know you guys I mean? thought that too, like a machine. I think it's just human nature. Like totally, you just yeah. think it's going to kind of like continue to roll as it was rolling. Did you feel pressure to write songs? Yeah. I will. The problem for me is it became, and, and this was kind of happening. My, the, the thing I loved became a job where mm. it became, it was hard to just write because of, I love this, you know? Yeah. And it was the, like being for, you have to be inspired to write and make it come natural. Then it's forced. Like I have to write a song, right? That like kind of force it. Yeah. 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 It was weird. It, and I think part of it was like, for the world, the Boston's have been around for two years, but for us, like this was 98 and we had started in 84. Jesus, man. To put it in perspective. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> like, dude. We were like at the end journey. of like a, a ultra marathon. But it's so inspiring to like have something that big that late in the career also gave people like, oh shit, like oh my God, you stick yeah. at it this long, this yeah. could happen. And oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I do think it's about it's about a process and work and that's how you attain that kind of success. And they, they ended up, I ended up leaving like doing it, the next record, pay attention, but with the, the full knowledge that I was going to go back into school and those guys were going to hit the road mm. and do it. it you make the record, but you're not going to tour. Yeah. It was super hard psychologically. Yeah, I'm sure it. it was just like, and was pay attention on the same label, right? Yeah. Well, Mercury became Island Def Jam. Okay. And so Lior Cohen and a whole oh, different Lior, group damn, of He's like a, yeah. He's a heavyweight yeah. in the hip hop world. Um, so the pay attention 
was that good? Are they happy with that number? Is it that good? No. No. I think it was okay. Yeah. Um, but I think that the the spend and promo around it was so big because of the last record yeah. did so well. And the um the expectations I think were, were and I missed a lot of this because I again like this was stuff that Joe and, and yeah. Dick and the rest of the guys were dealing with on the front line on tour and dealing with the label and I was you know somewhere else by that point and where was your major in school at that point I, I was like i'm not doing music but i love politics so it was political theory wow. it was like from all the punk rock stuff you know yeah it was, it was like dead kennedy's dead kennedy's <laughs> yeah. the clash all that yeah yeah that's awesome yeah i loved it um so how many years were you out I mean, you went to school so how many years were you out of the band so pay attention mm-hmm and then was it Jack Neptune Swan? Was that on that side was one? Side one. Yeah. yeah. So you guys get off that label. Yeah. So so after I, after the major label thing, I was out. Okay. So that was like I was doing school, and that's when I morphed into the music industry in in a different. Yeah. So world. you, you try to get away from music, but you end up back in the music. Yeah. I started. <laughs> <laughs> I got. I was Evan Dando. Um, Heads, yeah. Asked me to be in a band with him. Okay. So I started playing with Evan for. A few months. Was that the kickovers? No, this is pre the kickovers. Okay. And then we were, it was going to be automatic screw machine, I think we were going to call it, or automatic drill machine. <laughs> anyway, and then he got offered this big slot at Reading Festival, and he's like, well, this is actually going to be the Lemonheads. Like, do you want to be in the Lemonheads? And I was like, no. Nah. Okay. Like, I don't want to, I do not want to go back on tour and be in some other, I'd be, it could be in the Boston, you know, my Yeah. Were they a Boston band, Lemonheads? Yeah. Lemonheads oh, were, were from Cambridge, too. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Did I hate your friends or something? Hate your friends, Tang Records. They had some big, they, they had a big song. Remember that, man? Yeah. And, and the cover song, too, I think. Yeah. 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 So you're doing that. So that, how do you get into the music biz then? How does that happen from politics okay. to that? So I'm writing songs and producing stuff. Street Dogs. Yeah. Did a bunch of shit. And Explosion. Explosion. No effects? Um, no no effects. Mike called me and asked me to play guitar okay. on So Long and uh, Thanks for All the Shoes. Okay. And I and I played on, I think, three or four songs on that project. Okay. Scott, all the Scott and reggae stuff. Yeah. And then um, I got... Uh, I worked with this band Lost City Angels that were from yep. uh, from Boston and writing, and they got signed to an imprint through Universal okay. that was through Republic. And I met Monty Lippman and uh, Avery Lippman, who started Republic Records. And okay. those guys hired me as a consultant to start. Okay, yeah, that's crazy. So you you were producing a little bit, obviously. Yeah, and yeah. I, and I also I was doing the production. And I was like, I hate this because Joe and Dick, like Joe, is so good at that mm. and wants to be in the room the whole time. Yeah, I was the guy who'd like breeze in for a couple hours, like go out, come back, and you know, like yeah. And then when I'm producing, I'm there the whole time, and it just was not, not for Sounds me. Training, yeah, it was yeah. not my thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So then from there, you got really into it. You started really like. Signing more bands or sort of signing bands from that? Or yeah. No? Well, the first week I was at as a consultant, I found this song by uh, this kid, Freddie Wexler, who is now a big pop songwriter. But I ended up he ended up in a bidding war. So like I was literally a week in. I'm in Doug Morris's office, who was like the yeah. head of all of Universal with Doug and Monty. And I'm the new guy. And I found this guy that's like the hot guy. So they started kind of paying attention to me. And mm. then um they offered me a vice presidency at Republic, and I'm like, I'll take that. Holy shit! Yeah, yeah, it was pretty insane. Were you treated different because you came from a successful band who, who paid their dues, who toured in vans, who did all the work, and got? You know, I mean, you had a career before you went there. Like, I was, yeah, I, that got respect. a thousand percent got me through the door, and then it was the opposite. It was like, okay, you think you know, mm. now can you? play nice with everybody can you actually do a job can you email like you know i had to learn 
You had to become business kind of like a bit opposite side of the show. Yeah. And I had to prove myself. I really tried to stop talking about the band and think about, okay, what am I going to do here now to help? And I knew what I wanted from an A&R person. Yeah. So it was not complicated. Yeah. Like what my North star was as, as an executive, but it was like a totally different world. Yeah. You know, sitting in an office from touring a different city every night, you know? Yeah. So you did, um, you worked on Le- Les Miserables soundtrack. Oh, Les Mis, yeah, Les yeah, Mis, yeah, 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 yeah. That's crazy, man. Yeah, that was more like um, Les Mis. I always say it wrong. Les Miserables. No, I've said it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I worked on it long enough to have it drilled into me. That's huge, though. That's a big deal. That was a big one. That was that was more like scooping it up for Republic and knowing who was involved and how they were doing it, and um, you know that was, you know, one of the things about an A and R is 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 just having having your radar open to things that are going on, yeah. and that was a weird like, you know, a friend had mentioned something a red, who was not in the music industry and reading an article in the Times and then saying, "Hey, sending that to Avery and be like, I think this is they might be making this movie," and then pulling up all the research about all the other records they did, and then really getting in there very quickly and and you know picking up a record that sold a few million copies. Or more, Crazy you know? man, that's awesome. Yeah. So what was after that? I know you signed. Um, Maggie Rogers. Yeah. Well, before before Maggie at Republic was um, uh, a band called Fantagram. Yeah. And then uh, the Weekend. Yeah, the Weekend was a big one. Yeah, he went the short. Like I was a fan. I was a fan. I was a fan of him for first time. I heard him and all the songs. Then I found a you kind of. Do you signed him or found him? Um, Well, the way it works is is if you if you identify somebody and then you're the guy who like. brings it in then you sign it and you you are part of that thing and you you're basically like their internal manager there was a point where abel um you know they were just they were concerned about messing anything up they didn't really trust anybody um yeah. So I was like their point guy for international stuff and for streaming and bringing Abel to Spotify. You were like his, you were like his dude though. I was like his dude. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it signing the weekend was not that took 18 months that was like a whole journey it was pretty nuts wow so yeah. how'd, you, how'd you hear him like wh- how'd that happen uh it was it was kind of i think it was the ovo blog or something or wow, or that's right. drake that's right yeah yeah had had put it out there and everybody it wasn't like the first person discovered everybody was on it okay and loved it and i absolutely loved it and um super talented man yeah super original yeah just yeah. like I flew up to Canada, uh, to Toronto the next day and they were making the next mic tape. They were sitting in the house of balloon oh, studio. Shit. Yeah. And, um, but everybody was Jimmy Ivy was trying to sign. I mean, there was like 27. Was like a bidding war. It. it ended up, it was a bidding war, but it was, it ended up being more, um, not about who would pay the most money. It ended up being who understood it the most. That's how it should be. When I, st- I had him do, um, a remix for Florence and the Machine really early on, Sorry, yeah. and, and then ha- and then Abel opened for Florence on her U.S. tour, and this is before we signed, you know. But I just wanted to show like this is what we do. I also thought saw him as like um, David Bowie. I think other mm-hmm. people were like this is like an R and B thing or whatever, and I still don't it's, see it. That it's more I, than that, it's more I, than that. I think he's David Bowie. You know, mm. that's that's what I think he is. Yeah, he's so fucking smart, like, super brilliant. talent, just yeah. like. So it was Florence and the Machine on the label as well? Yeah, Florence was on the label. Okay. My friend Ben had signed Florence uh, in London, and I was kind of like the U.S. Florence guy. So okay. did some work with her. That's amazing, man. Mm. So 
Yeah, so the weekend gets signed. 18 months later, it took yeah. to get signed. <clears throat> yeah. Did they not understand it? They didn't get it right, I guess? Or uh, I was just R&B? I, I, you I, saw something more than they saw. Yeah, well, the first some of the first songs, he was sampling Susie and the Banshees, and he was sampling... Sick. There was a song that he had released, a sampling the Smiths that got pulled down. And um, Dang. he was really into like New Order and Joy Division That's and crazy. all this other... you know. But for me, it was like... I I understood kind of where he was coming from, and when I went up to Toronto, his producer Doc McKinney had been in a in a, a punk band in Minneapolis. Um, and I forget really? what their name was, but he's like, "Oh, you you were in the Boston's." Like he knew the thing, and, awesome. and it flipped the script in terms of like you're you're a little different than all these people. That's not why he signed, but I no, mean, but it just it made it easier. You're a musician as well, and you you've been yeah. through all this, yeah. But I knew I knew what able was and I was just you know I just wanted to help and 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 protect it and make it as big as it could be which I feel like kind of we did yeah so 18 months later he signs and then the first what was the first single off that uh well we basically like there wasn't really there wasn't really wicked games kind of was the single off a trilogy but it wasn't designed for singles do you know what I mean it was kind of like he's the hit and we're going to support this and the whole thing everything yeah and i'm much more into that like there are people at labels that want to sign songs that are hits but i'm much more interested in signing artists that eventually will figure it out you know totally you can grow with them and shit like you figure who they are he was young too was he younger yeah how old was abel then maybe 18 19 so when first yeah so when so when the shit hit they were like you're right (laughs) <laughs> kind of yeah there's <laughs> there's a you yeah. believe from the jump yeah i was really it was very there's no reason i should have been able to to do that but you know it's not honestly it's, it was me and then my yeah. label helped and monty and you know everybody jumped in to support it of course um it exp- but it, being in a band you know that yeah you're like we're a band so this team is gonna win i get yeah. I, you know my my direct um boss at that time was this guy rob stevenson who had signed um fallout boy and the killers he Sick. was a great a&r guy and he was wildly supportive yeah too. And my, my friend tom mckay who also i'd worked with at republic and had gone on to do more film and tv stuff at the label we did the uh 50 shades of gray soundtrack oh, that's stuff, right stuff together but he was also incredibly supportive so you kind of need you need to have that if you have those instincts in the wrong team it's pointless but if you're mm-hmm. in the right team it's amazing yeah, it works great, right? Yeah. So how many records did he do there on that label? Did He's you... still on. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Abel's still Abel still. Were you on with him the whole that. time on all the albums? I was with him um through the big one. There's a um Beauty Behind the Madness, which was yeah. like the big, like earned it and um Um I Can't Feel My Face and all the Max Martin stuff <laughs> we did together. You. Yeah. So catchy. Yeah, man. so good. I remember sitting He had so many bangers, just so many hit songs on the radio, yeah, man. Yeah. We were talking at the time of making a record like um thriller and um let's dance like those kind of two records mm. in terms of pacing i remember having media at max martin's and it was me uh and abel's manager and martin dodd and and wendy who was also another a person and um we were talking about the song earned it which ended up being in the 50 shades and then we could hear the bass line to i can't feel my face coming through the floor Holy and we were like shit. what is that like we hadn't heard the song you just it was the first yeah. time Abel was doing something with tempo. And it That's was like the so, biggest one, right? I would have to say. I don't know anymore. I think it was I think it culturally was such a moment. Like every, it was like the song of the summer kind of 
thing. His hair too. Yeah, so so hair, cool, so punk rock. When he cut his hair, I was like, oh my god! But it still didn't matter. He's still talented. It's not yeah. just the hair. Well, but. Abel's got he's he's as much of a fan as he is of music. He's way bigger fan of film, and um, okay, he creates kind of like characters for each album. Yeah, he did the last one. I remember that. Yeah, everything's a different. So it was all like bloody and stuff. The last video, the newest song was like all yeah. It's up and it's stuff. um Raging Bull. Oh, and wow. um, Casino, and there's one other film. The uh, what's the Las Vegas one where they do drugs? Casino? No, no leaving Las Vegas. Uh, no, no, it's the uh, uh, Fear and Loathing. In Las Vegas. Fear and Loathing. Yeah, those three things are on. Uh, That's what that whole. He seems super smart, talented kid, focused. Yeah, like knew exactly who he was. Yeah, awesome. Embraced it. Yeah, and they were like to me just punk rock. You know, it was like we're gonna do this ourselves. We're starting our own label. We're starting. Mm-hmm. Uh, just awesome. So then, so you left that label after? Yeah, I when so when there, I, I had known, having been in a band, that your A and R person is not in your band. Your A and R person is somebody that helps you. Yeah, you know. But like, I have to have my own world. It's the only way I can. And I like helping people. Yeah, Abel does not need help. He's like, you know what I mean. He's good. That that trajectory was mm-hmm. out of here. Um, and I was getting you know offers to work everywhere and um had a really great offer to, to go to Capitol Records. So, and it had always been in my mind, like, you know, Beach Boys, Beatles, like yeah. the, the iconic label. Capitol so, building. All yeah, that yeah. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go do that. Wow. And, and um, was it, was, was it hard to leave saying like, Oh, it was like the boss tones all over again. It was another mm. one of like leaving this thing that's so, you're so, I was so identified with, with the weekend. I'm in, sure he's in the to see you go for sure too. Um, yeah, I don't. I I think it was weird. Yeah, because yeah. it's like, what's there's nothing wrong with his picture. So why are you? Yeah, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. If it ain't yeah. broke, what's going going on? We well, took a chance, took an opportunity to go. Yeah, but it was less about. Um, I try not to make decisions based on money. You know, yeah. I, I try to make decisions based on like my your in, journey. Yeah, um, or like what I'm interested in, because I think yeah. I'll do well if I'm interested in it. You know, or I can help. Yeah, if that makes sense. Totally. So Capital, a whole new world there, and whole new world. Um, what year was that? That was 2016, January. Oh, shit. And it was fucked up because to go back to the Boston's, uh, I get a call from in November, early November of 2015, from Joe Gittleman, like Lawrence has been hit by a bus, or you know was driven off the road. He was like biking and had a oh, big accident shit. and broke his arm, and we need you to play the throwdown. And I was like, "There, Joe. There's no way I can do that. Like, I'm I'm packing my family. We're moving. Mm-hmm. I got this big job, and like, moving from where? Moving from Brooklyn. We had been in Brooklyn oh, for 13 so you, years. Oh, shit. Okay, in New York the whole time. Yeah, so I was in New York the whole time. Okay. And um, and then uh, I was like, I got to do that. I got to do that. Mm-hmm. And I um, did you miss it? Yeah, okay. but I had I had convinced myself in many levels that I hadn't. Mm-hmm. I needed to to like survive emotionally. Yeah. But um, then like Joe's like, you just have to learn like 30 songs and we can do the throwdown. I'm like, great. Okay, 30. It ended up being, I think, 70 songs. Wow, that I, had to, I had to learn. Some of them I wrote, but it doesn't mean I remembered any of it. I just had to like. It comes back like riding a bike, doesn't some it? Some of them, but there was a bunch of them I had no idea, never played. Um, mm. uh, but it was it was fun. It was so surreal to be like. And then we played with Rancid at the Shrine on New Year's Eve. That's right. I was there. It was a great show. Yeah. And that was like also super like weird. And then all of a sudden I was in the Capitol building. So how long had it been since you played with the Boss Tones? Uh, since the, it was, I think it was the hometown throwdown in 1999. Dang. So it had been 15 years, 16 years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that was a great New Year's show, man. I think that was the, I think, I, am I right? I think I'm right. 
You have a great memory, by the way. Sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you say, we said, I said this off this before we recorded, but yeah, like um, my brother tried leaving the band. He sent this huge heartfelt email and we all got it and we knew it was going to happen. We knew it was coming, but none yeah. of us responded to it. Mm-hmm. I knew we got the Osprey gig. I was super happy for him. But he's my brother. He's my blood. We started this band together, mm-hmm. just like you. And so we always hit him up. Hey, we have this one show. And we'd be hanging on his schedule to the last minute, like the Offspring schedule versus the H2O schedule. Yeah. Oh, we can't do it. we got this other tour in Europe. We have the Japan. Right. Tell you've never been to South America with H2O. Just always leaving it out there for him. Right. Like The door's always open for him. Right. And sometimes like, sometimes, like, what you got, like, we need you. This is one show. Right. Just please do it. And then, like, he'd come back and do it. But, like. It's like the mafia. You can't really leave, I guess. There was one other thing. It was Dickie's birthday show. Mm. I played. Yeah. It was before. Is there something about playing those songs again, but with no, like you're not in the band. Mm. You're not making new records. Come play songs with my friends. Reminisce, play songs, and go back to my life. That's kind of cool. Yeah. But to your, to your brother's point, that, that story, I mean, it's like, it is a, it is a family in a way that's on some level stronger than family in a bizarre, you know, they're, they're family you've chosen that are yeah. like, like Dickie's like in my life. Like Joe, our parents dated when I was two. Holy yeah, shit. Yeah. Like the, the Gittleman. It's like, we're so deep. We, we play with each other. It's like the pocket is so intense because we learn together. It's yeah. bizarre. You guys are real musicians. To, yeah. You together, sound great together. Together. Yeah. We're, we're, it it's works. So, yeah. It's so strange. It was weird, like working on the uh, uh, or playing with them. We're working with them recently. Just like it's like giving giving back the tools that that you didn't have. Almost mm. does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I played on other records, you know, but like I played on some this Phantogram thing for Hunger Games soundtrack and nice. Um, so this Naughty Boy thing I did something for, and but it's not. It's just completely different. That's more like just doing something. Yeah, you know. So you play that show. It's mm-hmm. awesome. And, then, yeah. and now you're, are you vice president at Capitol Records? I'm executive vice president. Dang. No. You're in that yeah. building. Oh, no. Sorry. I've got... <laughs> <laughs> no. So at Capitol, I signed Maggie Rogers yeah, and, and worked on all sorts of create like Troy Sivan, and then did a bunch of stuff with Barry Gordy, which was insane. Sick. And worked with Barry Gibb on stuff, which was also like nuts. Wow. Yeah, it was really like there was a lot of that kind of stuff going on. Yeah. Um, but then I... I it felt like a weird fit for me. And I was offered uh, a, a label at Warner brothers and also be a lead executive vice president, a and R. And I was like, okay, I got to go do this now. That's, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. Was that your first, didn't you have a uh, billboard hit Maggie? Yeah. Maggie's has had a number one album. Okay, yeah. Your first that, number one album. Yeah. Yeah. That was her debut. That's freaking uh, number awesome, one on the man. album chart. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Maggie's, um, she is, wildly smart and wildly talented and just the amount of um people in in her stream that that she's worked with and is just nuts it's just really like she's special yeah so just like coming come just like let's face it and kind of pressure to make the next record yeah now you signed now you're part of the weekend's Mm. success Mm -hmm. and now you got moved to they found you because of all this you know involved then you go to late was there pressure to sign like another weekend every time I'm sure <laughs> that, that was part of one of the problems at at, at Capla. I was paid s- s- too much money, too much. All right, and probably <laughs> I don't I don't mind, but it's kind of yeah. like Abel's like a thing. Like I'll sign things that are going to be. It's part of the weekend, by the way. Yeah. yeah, I'll sign stuff that's successful, which which is but um, the weekend sold millions and millions of albums. 
Yeah, hundreds. It made, I don't even know, hundreds of millions of dollars. Probably. Yeah. I don't know if the label or whatever. But it's, um, it, yes, that is the pressure. But I kind of like, I feel like there's so little good and so much suck in the world. And it's like, just work on stuff that's great and things will figure it out. Mm. And if it figures out in the term of my contract, great. Then I'll do more. And if it doesn't, yeah. I'll figure something else. You know, How many years was your contract for there? Usually at, 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 uh, executive vice president level, you're usually in like a three-year contract. Oh, wow. It's kind of short. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. they're like, if you have a hot hand, you want to parlay that into the next thing. And if you have a cold hand... You want to get out of there and go yeah. somewhere where it's going to be hot. There's this whole strategy, but that's kind of like, and then I think presidents are kind of the same three, three years or four years. And then a chairman or five years. Usually that's like the, longest. and you didn't, you didn't go to no school to do any of this stuff. Um, Cause you study politics. Yeah. I, you know, what's weird. Every it's every, it's almost like everything. I was on a call today talking about this with an artist, like everything I've done informs my job, right? Like politics is like navigating a label and navigating an artist and managers and mm. art history is like na like videos and songs, the arc, everything, the boss tones touring. It's like, there's no like, what would that feel like? Like I know, cause I had the job. Yeah. Like I know what it feels like. And you lived it. I lived Experience it. Experienced it. Yeah. And different. I played probably more than anyone I'm going to talk to and play more shows. Do you know True, what I mean? Yeah. So like, I understand that like emotional thing. And yeah. I think, I think it's helpful that somebody feels, uh, heard and it knows they're seen mm -hmm. you know what i mean yeah that makes course. sense but no there i don't think there is a, there is you can go to a music business program but it's very hard to kind of um intuitively kind of have it in you we'll just get those life experience of touring in a road um yeah. uh, sleeping on people's floors being yeah. in a van with seven people yeah playing to nobody just all that real life experience of being a musician yeah. Behind the scenes, in front of all that, and then you had all that. You know, that was your resume. Well, it's like grit and tenacity, right? Mm, That's, yeah. That is like so much of all of this. And then I was reading the Stanford professor's book about um, the artistic process and about luck. And she's got this theory, she's in the business school, that that luck is like a wind that blows all the time. And you need to figure out your game where you can catch that wind. Mm. And for me, it's songs. You know, that that metaphor of like, what, what Tim said, write way too many songs yeah. and narrow it down. You write 50 songs for a 10 song record. You're catching some wins, some luck for yeah, sure. For sure. Yeah, that's you true. can't sit down even with Max Martin, you know, Max, there was a song we were working on. Max is like, I was like, man, how many, how many passes have you done of this? How many versions? He's 250 versions of this. Wow, song. man. Like Matt, that's Max Martin. Yeah. Like getting at it and getting at it. But you, even with that, you can't make it, you can't force it. It either like, the culture, it's like surfing. It speaks back to you. It's a hit or it's not. Yeah. Um, anyway. That's a great point. So I just think you got to do it a lot. Yeah. And you got to be cool with failing. It's not about being good at something at yeah. all. It's about being okay sucking. Yeah. That's really what this is all about. So did you do your three years at Capitol and, and you had some success there? Yeah. It felt like... It felt like I learned the most, I think, about the music industry at Capitol. And I think the Maggie thing was awesome and but it also felt like it was the first time i really understood what my job was mm -hmm. but i also understood it when i talked about the chemistry thing the chemistry of that that team didn't work the way i needed it to i can't aaron bashuk who i work with now signed bruno mars and he's an a and r guy okay and he understands the creative process and art that's the kind of person i need to be that was what rob was rob stevenson at okay. the public if I'm under that, I thrive. But if I'm under a marketing person, 
or somebody that's more on the business side, like I can't, mm. there's like a disconnect. Yeah. It's really hard for me to have, to figure out that chemistry groove. Did you have that at, ca- at Capital? I didn't, I didn't have that partner at Capital. Mm-hmm. I had the, the head of the company was much more, um, you know, Steve who's was, is really brilliant at, at marketing strategy and, and had managed ACDC for 10 years and his mm-hmm. stories are you know amazing, but I'm the other. Right. I'm like the difficult artist almost like, like yeah. as opposed to like, I'm somebody that can help solve this. Like it's a di- much yeah. different dynamic if that makes sense. Yeah. So a- after capital, what would you go then? So ca- my capital right to Warner brothers. Yeah. So, so you had three years done. Yep. And then right to Warner brothers. Yeah. And what was that job What that? Was that title? Uh, so that's same executive vice president. Damn, Warner brothers. Yeah. And so three, three year contract there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No boss tones is strictly now you're just a music biz guy. Yeah, well, yeah, until like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Dickie and I went to see the specials together. Or our kid, you know, our kids play once in a while and Dickie awesome. comes over and goes swimming. We have barbecues. Awesome. Um, and we went to see the specials and we we're talking about doing um, doing a Dickie solo record and that morphed wow. into let's write a song when Jake Phelps passed away. Okay. Let's write a song about Jake. Um and we started writing this song called Truth Hurts um, okay. around Jake. And this is all morphed into this new Boston's project okay. that's happening. Bring it to the present day. So you're still, you're still at Warner Brothers. But I'm still at Warner Brothers, yeah. And working from home at this point probably, right? Working from home, yeah. And Crazy. so did you, just, and did you have some good success there since you've been there with artists? So far, yeah. The first thing, I came in the first week I signed a, a Roddy Rich Marshmallow song. I know, I know Roddy Rich, yeah. yeah. This song called Project Dreams. It's um, now doing hip hop stuff. Yeah, yeah. I get it. Well, sometimes, you know, I love that song so that we're almost at, we're at a, a million here and almost two million globally on that song. Wow, which yeah, my sound like that stuff. Yeah, and then Roddy I helped Rich. out a little with this Dua Lipa record, just one song, and then um, signed this guy Teddy Swims that we're just launching now that has this song broke that's absolutely amazing. Uh, signed an artist named Omar Apollo that I'm doing with Brock Corson, who is also Kendrick Lamar's A&R guy. So Sick. both of us are, are working on Omar. And Omar is like out of here. Like his trajectory is nuts. Hip hop? No, he's more like um, Prince. Sick. He's like a, a prince. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Um, and there's a bunch of working with JoJo and had jo- put JoJo with... Um, uh, Doc McKinney, who did a bunch of the weekend stuff, okay. and with Nova Wave, who did a, a bunch of Rihanna, Beyonce stuff. Awesome. Yeah. So I think I have ten or eleven things. Is there a big difference from Republic to Capital to Warner? They're all, it's like being it's all the, the same. And no, no, it's uh, some. It's a, It's like being in three different bands. Okay. It's literally like yeah. I'm still playing guitar, but this is <laughs> totally different. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Um, I'm really, really digging the Warner thing. Okay. Yeah, and I feel really, really blessed to be in there with those dudes. Yeah, is is it a more downsized thing in major labels these days with all the streaming and stuff, or is it still like in the same place it was? And no, it's it's like that. Okay. Like the the industry is on an upward trajectory for sure, and it will probably be. I think the what are they thinking in the next five or six years it will be bigger than it ever was. Okay. Which is crazy. The music business. The, the music. The recorded music business. Okay. Yeah. Regardless of all the pandemic stuff, regardless of all the stuff, the recorded music business yeah, okay. is doing really well. Yeah. And some of it is, is doing well because of the pandemic stuff. Obviously people are streaming. Yeah. And, yeah, and yeah. Looking for stuff. Yeah. Live touring obviously is, is a mess, but like, what's your take on that? When, when do you see that actually coming back? Um, if you could have any power to it, <laughs> <laughs> I, I would say 
I mean, the booking agents that I talk to think think it will be full full moving ahead probably next summer. Yeah, you know, here hoping, yeah. probably sooner in other parts of the world, but unless their flare ups are crazy, if we get a vaccine sooner, uh, like January, um, who knows? And and I do think, uh, and many people are talking about this, but I think the sense is we're going to roll into another version of the roaring twenties, like which happened after the Spanish flu. Like people are so pent up. It's going to be like art and creativity and party. That's and a positive. Crazy. That's a great thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, your, your futures in your past, you know, history tends to repeat itself mm-hmm. on some level. So, yeah, I think it's going to be really, really exciting or really, really weird at first. Well, it'll be weird, but <laughs> people are already like you, these colleges are throwing huge parties. Like people are just I not saw, caring and I showing know, up. Man. So I don't think people are like, how's it going to, how are we going to convince people to go back to shows? I'm like, it's going to yeah, not going to be I don't think they're scared. I don't think they're scared. And I'll never take a live show for granted again. You know? Yeah. I know that. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be nice to go on the tour of Boston's right now, wouldn't it? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't think said the other day, it's like when we go on tour, like, fuck, we have to go to Europe tomorrow. Like, 15 shows or something think about our wives and our right, kids right. and then we're on the freaking long ass flight eating yeah. shitty food yeah. then we're backstage for eight hours or walking on the street seeing the same city we saw before right. eating the same warm ass catering to wait 23 hours to play like frame four hours i was like i do that right now right. i would not complain i promise being backstage <laughs> in the sweaty right. ass fucking squat in europe who cares yeah like i never took it for granted because i got to do it so much but yeah. this is my first summer home like 25 years and yeah. it's it's interesting how this is all working like as far as like my wife told me like the reason why we've been married for 24 years because I went on tour and because I fucking left and that, that made it stronger, like the separation. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah, now yeah. we're on top of each other. And so it's like, you're really going to come out of this with a strong ass marriage or you're really going to realize like what it's. No, that's it's, absolutely it's, it's right. Real, it's, it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's crazy, you know, yeah. like, cause everyone is working in their homes. Like everyone I'm talking to, yeah. you know, that thing is, it's, it's a lot to ask to have everything in one physical space on top of each other. Yeah, for sure. And like, what does that, what does that mean for like big ass record company buildings when people can work from home and don't need that to be rented out? Yeah. It's going to change. Yeah. I think it was Twitter said art. Maybe it was Twitter said, or Facebook said, you you don't need to come back. You can live wherever you want. Wow. Yeah. That's the new, new. That, That could be something. Yeah. And I have people that are like work at labels in LA that are now in Colorado or, okay. In, you know, other parts of the country, like, you know, fine. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. It's going to change. I don't, I, I don't think we're going back to anything. I think we're driving through a tunnel, mm. you know, like those long ass tunnels in Switzerland. Like we're in the <laughs> middle, we're in the middle of that. And what we head out, it won't be what we came through. It'll be something very different. Mm. But I think my guess is we're probably like halfway to three quarters of the way through it. That's my guess. There's going to be a lot of empty buildings around the country. Office buildings. Yeah, I would not want to be in, in, in commercial real estate mm-hmm. at the moment because I, I agree with you. There's no, there's just, I think, I think corporations have a lot more faith in people. And why would you spend the money if you don't need to mm-hmm. on the overhead? It makes no sense. So now fast forward to now, I get to sing on the new Boston's record mm-hmm. and there's some great songs on there. Mm-hmm. It was awesome to hear those songs. There's some yeah. important songs on there for the yeah. times and, yeah. and you're back on it. You're back in the mix. I'm on, I'm, 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 I'm part of that record. Yeah. I think yeah. I'm on five, five songs and wrote one of them. And how'd they get you back in there? Just, Hey, we need you. Hey, you want right to <laughs> You want to come back for a day? And just, it was never, there was never yeah. a conversation. It was just it's family though. It's like, you got any ideas on this one? And like, when I hear songs, Joe Gittleman writes, I'm like, I, my brain just has, it's like all the ideas of what should be on that. 
Yeah. Like I just hear hooks that I, I want to talk play. about how cool Joe Gilman is when he chews his bazooka gum on stage. Like, yeah, he inspired <laughs> me to start chewing gum on stage to keep my voice like that. A thousand percent. I, yeah. I know Dave Grohl does it too as yeah, well, but yeah. Gilman was the first one doing. Yeah. And me, I jump around and run around. I've choked on it a couple of times, but it mm-hmm. definitely does work. It really works. And then he had uh, jittery Joe's coffee on the warp tour. Oh. <laughs> that was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's just you guys such a you guys are such a unique group of of, of friends. You, grew up, you know what I mean? It's it's, yeah. it's an amazing amazing journey you had, man. Yeah, it's super. It, the longer it goes, the rarer it feels. You know? Yeah, and we're it's strange because the the boss tones, unlike a band like you know um, Pearl Jam, but you know, kind of got to arenas or in this other thing. It's like we all have our other foot in like a different world. You know, yeah, different jobs and stuff. Yeah, and it's 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 like a great blessing. You know, mm-hmm. to have that outlet plus, you know, Dickie's got the whole Kimmel family. It's, and, it's, I was so happy I heard know. his voice in there. It was yeah. like, holy shit. I would get in cabs in New York, man. Like, oh, this Jimmy Kimmel alive. And I'm like, I, this is so fucked up. I'm hearing Dickie in this cab. Oh, like in the in cabs. The, <laughs> like in the back, the TV goes on at Dickie's voice, yeah. you know. So, so cool though. So Kimmel was a fan, right? He knew you guys or something. He's been to Boston. Yeah, there was a story. When, I think we were playing the K-Rock weenie roast and... um we invited Adam and I think, I, I don't know if Jimmy, I think Jimmy backstage to oh, just yeah. like, come hang out, you know? And then Dickie knew the, knew him from, uh, I don't know if it was Love Line or something Love else. Love Line. That too. But we were, we, you know, we generally, we, we like to hang out with people. Yeah. So everyone was, we were kind to people. So that, that kind of worked. Yeah. Do you have any uh, regrets? Wow. I'm sure I do have, I think about that a lot, but I also think about this Chinese proverb a lot which is, I'm going to say it wrong, but there's basically like a <laughs> farmer and his son is out working on the fields and then his on the horse and his son falls and breaks his legs and the family almost starves. But then there's a war and the son can't get drafted because his legs are broken. So this thing that was terrible ends up being fantastic. Mm. And I've had that happen in many parts of my life where like I feel like like when I was out, had quit the Boston's, had gone back to school and again, was like mid the way through a tunnel of this, yeah. this thing, but I wasn't there yet. I was like, am I ever going to get music back the way I need it to be central? You know? Okay. Yeah. Um, and at you, if you had had this conversation and asked me that question, then I would have said, yeah, I, re- I regret that right now. Okay. But in retrospect now with all the shit that's happened post, I'm like, if I hadn't done that, none of this other stuff would have happened. hundred percent. So I almost like, Right before I die, you got to ask me. Okay. And then, and then I, <laughs> like that last breath, I'll tell you. Yeah. But so I just, you just never know how something's going to work out. You, know? you don't. Whether that's a relationship um, ending or, or you know, people losing their house or losing money or whatever it is, things that seem like the worst possible scenario can be amazing yeah. for people. And there's all these stories about people winning the lottery and killing themselves and having these yeah. awful, and then people getting paralyzed and really finding their spiritual selves. Totally. So you just... You know, I don't know. I guess I, do, I don't read it in the same way anymore. No, I, I, I love that. That makes sense. What do, you, what do you credit, like, your longevity for Boston's? What do you think it is? Why Boston, Boston's is still here? People still care? I, I, I think it's because we are there for each other. And it really was about wanting to, well, A, about also inclusion. Yeah, family, community, Instead of all exclusivity. That, yeah. But it, it was really about... Um, being in a room and identifying together as a unit totally that would support each other and support our community and yeah. around us and positivity and PMA yeah 
as opposed to being like, we're going to do this to rise above everybody else and be like some sort mm-hmm. of, you know what I mean? It wasn't yeah. escapism. Yeah. I've worked with people who want to be famous to escape. I try not to work with them, but it's, it's sometimes <laughs> sometimes it gets you, you guys you guys hoisted on me. You, you guys brought the fans with you on your journey. You made them feel part of you and the family, and I think that connects. Yeah, and Dickie makes me laugh, and Joe makes me laugh. I mean, these guys, these guys are so funny, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, and, and I think that like Dickie sent both me and Joe a text last night. It was like, you know, <laughs> so I, <laughs> I was dying, but I'm like, that's part of it too. Is it's just like hilarious, mm-hmm. you know? So and the inside Joe, just all that stuff. It's a fucking uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I I I I do think there's a there's um. I feel badly for people that get together that don't really like each other but have success and then are married to that. And there are a lot, you know, a lot of those and bands people. that like don't have different dressing rooms on different planes. Oh man, don't talk to each other on the stage or off stage and do it, and they kill it. And people still they're big bands, but they yeah. don't. It's a total business, man. Everybody yeah. has their own LLC. It's yeah, such I a could bummer. never do that. I don't care about the money. I could never do that. I just couldn't do it, man. Yeah, yeah. Like I love my band. I talk to them every day. I hang out with them. There was a couple of people in New York back in the day. Like they saw me and Rusty and Adam out one night. They're like, "You guys hang out off tour." Yeah, like, yeah, I fucking knew Rusty since I was a little kid. Right. You know, these are my brothers. Like, we love each other. Like, right. we always talk every day, man. Like, we're family. Yeah. All that little dumb business shit. Like, I hate all the business shit that gets in the way sometimes of just the music. Yeah. The different business managers and booking agents and all that. All that. Sh- I hate all that. It's stressful. Yeah. yeah. And those little stupid fights, they don't matter when, when you get on stage and you're playing and you're, right. you love each other. You're brothers, you know? Right. Right. It's special. It is special. Yeah. Not many bands have that and can have a long career like that and still. No. You know what I mean? Yeah. Says a lot about the people, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, are you, you consider yourself an optimist or pessimist, but I pretty much know the answer for that. I mean, I'm a crazy optimist. Yeah. I'm always like, yeah. we're going to do this. And like, <laughs> we're, we're marching towards it. We're going to. And then having that happen now multiple times in my life for projects I've worked on, I'm like even more like that. Yeah. You know? You have to be, man, I think. I think it's, it's, well, it's reality. It is reality, yeah. You, know, you articulate it and it you know, becomes real. It's crazy. Yeah, that's what the whole PMA and Napoleon Hill thing is. It's like what the mind can uh, conceive yeah. and believe it can achieve. A thousand and that's percent. just believing in yourself and, and just really going for it and like not, don't listen to other people say, if you believe in something, you believe you can do it, just do it. And I feel like. Nobody's job is out there to keep you down. There's no one. Yeah. Like, everyone's on their the star of their own movie walking around kind of trying to, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And if you really have something you want to do, you can do it. You just have to, again, it might yeah. be harder than you think, but if you love doing it, who cares? Yeah. I mean, you, you didn't go to college to be a vice president of a record label. No. You just in a band and you learned, you paid attention to all behind this, everything you experienced yeah. dealing with managers and labels. And then yeah. you became a fucking vice, vice president. Yeah. It's crazy, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's just believing in yourself and know you can do the job, you know? Yeah. I'd be fucking sc- we scared to get in those jobs and uh be nervous. Well, I'm, I'm sure after the weekend me like, had a different confidence. Uh yeah. No, that's that's true. I was yeah, I was nervous. Yeah. Yeah, I had to figure it out. And I tried to like keep my mouth shut as much as possible until I knew what was kind of going on. Yeah. I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you have any uh, daily rituals? Uh I try to meditate every day. Sick. What kind of meditation? Um, it's like insight meditation. Okay. So um, Vipassana, I think they call it. Okay. Like it's kind of mindful meditation. Yeah. Wildly helpful. It's just it's getting out of the, this kind of like narrative. Mm-hmm. Uh, and funny watching your mind trying to kind of re- <laughs> re-engage. But doing that is really helpful. And How long do you that. do that for a day? Uh, just 20 minutes a day. Okay. Yeah. I want to try that. My wife does that tra- trans meditation or something. Oh, yeah. Transcendental. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. She could do it anywhere in a car. She just blocks me right out. Yeah. I think yeah. she learned how to do it to block me out, but it works. <laughs> she likes doing it. <laughs> yeah, I have a lot of friends that, that do that stuff too. That's a really good one. Either one, you know? Yeah. Um but and I do I do like um I like running a lot. Nice. A, but this guy too, man. Brian Black Train Jack in the house, by the way. Yeah. He runs marathons. He ran a marathon at fifty years old. Very inspiring. His first marathon. That's awesome. He I runs r- lots of miles. I ran like fifteen years ago. I ran two. So I I love that long distance marathon like so hard. Yeah. But it's so mental. That's exactly what I'm talking about. That's just yeah. long game. But I'm not built to run, but I love it. It's the my big problem in life. Like I'm built to play football. But I love running. <laughs> Did you play sports or not? Just no, I was I, well, yes, that's not true. I played baseball when I was really little. Okay. Like, like all-star, like little league shit. I loved yeah. it. Um, but then it was skateboarding and freestyle BMX. Yeah. Freestyle things. BMX. Oh yeah. wow. Yeah. Back in the eighties, like BMX was ver- was BMX versus skateboarders. Oh, it I was remember. Like a beef back then, I remember that. Yeah, and we were both. It was a <laughs> we had a weird thing, but it was earlier. It was BMX, and then it morphed into just skating. Like early high mm-hmm. school, just skating. Are you a coffee person? Coffee? Yeah, I love coffee. Yeah, I was on it for a minute. Yeah, and Brian's really bummed that I quit it. It just wasn't built for me. So you do a cup of coffee a day? Um, yeah, wake up, I have coffee. That's Black coffee? My, no, with okay. milk. I like milk and my coffee. And that's, that's it. Yeah, I tried it last year. I did it for a straight month of December, and I was like jittery, shittery, dehydrated. All my friends were excited. They were so proud of me that I finally grew up and had coffee. And then, like, it just didn't work for my stomach. It just, I never had any, that was like my first kind of drug I put in my body, to be honest. Oh, yeah, yeah. So now it's been like 29 days since I had it. My son got a coffee machine. No thanks to Brian, who told him which coffee machine to buy. <laughs> so we have a coffee machine in the house because of Brian. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's just not. Not for me. That Rusty's all about it. My yeah. band, all my friends are on it. Yeah. Like, I tried, don't, man. if you cannot be on it, Dude, don't be on it. I know. Because the worst is like, I really like. I wake up and I really like. I need that coffee, mm. but then I'm good. It's good for your bathroom, though. It's definitely a fucking. It keeps everything running. Yeah, it keeps everything it running. Keeps you focused. Um, if you had to name a top five, it could be artists. It seems like you read a lot too. It could be authors. Oh God, this is impossible. Uh, musicians. Um, like influences, you think. <sighs> It's hard though. I'll give you a minute. Brian, you have something to say about the Boston? You're going to say something? Didn't they kind of find you that, that Dickie found us? Dude, Come here. You're going to say something, Brian. This is Brian from Black Train Jack. This has been my podcast before. It came out of nowhere, right? All of a sudden, you know, hey, the Boston's want to take you out on a tour. Like, this is amazing. We were all fans of the right. band. And then you guys, you know, on, we were talking about it. it's like being in school. You know, and at that beer on Boston, I use that to this day. Oh, when really? People, when people <laughs> right. are like getting too much into each other's shit, it's yeah. like, you know, be your own Boston. Do your, yeah. And you guys taught us that. Yeah. You know, when we, that was one of our early tours. And we're like, oh, you know, we got to do everything together. Hey, come on, let's go. Let's go. Right. People are getting pissed off at each other. It's like, you know, you know, meanwhile, you know, one guy's taking a fishing pole going out that way. Uh, he's yeah. going there. You yeah. go to a museum. It's like, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. And it was really, it was fantastic. That was one of the best memories ever. What year was that? I don't remember. It was after uh, question and answers. It was 95 after, probably. So yeah, 95. 95, 96. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah. Back in the day. Yeah. So I, I've probably said thanks back then, but now 20 whatever years later, thanks again. Hey, that yeah, awesome. it's my pleasure. Right yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, how about like the n- favorite punk band of all time? How about that? Oh, this is Just so, one. I literally, I Ramones? was. Ramones are on that list. Fuck yeah. <laughs> I think I had just had to do a list for Dickie of favorite guitar players. Mm, okay. I don't know if that's a good list to share. <laughs> <laughs> what was like a punk band that really like changed your life? I don't know. When I was 11, I saw Minor Threat. 
Get the fuck. Okay. Yeah. I was minors to threat SSD control neck necros FUs. Um, Bro. And it was f- at the VFW hall and it lit- it completely, completely changed my life. Bro. The, Guys, it dropped the jam at the very end. Yeah, that, that was like <laughs> a minor threat were it for me. You know, there was a whole th- thing. Um, Damn. And that's why we covered minor threat you yeah. know, later on. Do you get in straight edge at all back then or not? Yeah, but it's like I'm like I'm straight edge for like six weeks, and I like had the axes, you know. And all of a sudden, I'm at a party, and there's a girl, and she's got a drink. I'm like, oh yeah. I was I was a shitty straight edge guy. Um, uh, we probably the only guy that was straight edge in Boston, though. At one point. At one point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Damn, I got to see Impact Unit once. I had my first show as Vicious Circle, Verbal Assault, uh-huh. Proletariat, the FUs at the living room. Oh, that's good. And Impact good. Unit played. Yeah. I have the fire. My fucking have it saved. Yeah. That was Dickie's band. That's crazy. Yeah, that is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I got to see some really good shows. I'm going to have to get back to you on the top five. It's all good, man. I had to do... Yeah, I just... Hip-hop. Anything hip-hop that sticks out you love? I mean, Public Enemy, I think, because there's so much like the political point of view absolutely like blew my mind. Yeah, man. But I was in it like, you know, like, Soul Sonic Forest and like you know, the message and like all the, that early shit and yeah. like the wild style movie I went to see when I was a little kid and I feel like hip hop rode right next to punk rock for me yeah in my and you started out know, 11 years old going to shows right yeah because my brother was older right yeah so it wasn't like I was like oh at 11 I'm gonna do this my brother would <laughs> yeah. you know take me out so and then that also I think I was 12 I saw the English beat that next year damn and, and that was another one like completely changed like i'm doing this yeah and bad brains early early on like all of those shows were so you know monumental in your life monumental yeah. and those bands were monumental yeah. all of them you, became you had so me at minor threat i'm like yo that's enough yeah. you saw minor threats yeah. fucking... i still i have the flyer framed oh, dude. Uh, at home from that show i got to see embrace once his other band after that oh yeah in baltimore yeah and that was there was flowers on stage and beat beater yeah. played that was yeah I had braces at the time, and, and I remember going into the bathroom and unpeeling my lips from my braces because I was slamming in the pit with a. Wow. Yeah, it was really not good. Fugazi fan? Yeah, I loved Fugazi Seriously. too. Yeah. Yeah. So right. ahead of the time, man, with yeah. everything, man. Oh, my God. Yeah. All of it. I mean, that that world was so. DC, man. Yeah, it was just like a punch to. Oh. Scream, Marginal Man, Government yeah. Issue. Yeah. Soul Side Dag, Nasty. Oh, yeah. Bro. Yeah. Amazing, man. Yeah. It's crazy. Your brother wrote for SSD. Yeah. And we had DYS, like all oh, that DYS, stuff. Oh, DYS, yeah. FU, Straw Dogs. FUs, yeah. Kill for Christ. Wow. Yeah. All that shit was like so, we were, you know, there's um, Gangrene. Oh, it's Gangrene, yeah. Gangrene, too. Yeah. yeah. Early, all the skating shit, Gangrene shit. Another yeah. Wasted Night. It was like. Another Wasted Night. I'm on the back of that album cover in the audience. Really? Yeah. Damn, we learned so yeah, much about you today, man. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. You came a long way from just being like, it's amazing, man. Your journey, man. It's very inspiring, man. Yeah, it's bizarro. Isn't it fun? <laughs> <laughs> so now you're still a vice president Warner Brothers? Yeah, yeah. How many kids you have? Two. Awesome. Two. Yeah, a little girl and a little boy. Yeah, and they're they're amazing. It's cra- you love California? I love California. Isn't Absolutely. it crazy being like an East Coast kid your whole life? And just I was always like, yeah, West Coast is cool. Yeah. I never expected to live here. And now Brian, you live here, Black Train Jack. He just moved here a year ago. So many transplants out here. I've been here... How long now? I got so 2016, so four four years. Okay, four years. I still take pictures of palm trees. Like I can't believe it. Amazing, I'm man. Like, That's a palm. Look at that palm tree. Like, Could you ever live in the east again? Deal with the winters? 
Um, I I have learned to never say never. Okay. I don't know. I, Respect. I, I would I, I I would rather not. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I could probably figure it out. It when I lived in New York, I came here every five or six weeks. Yeah. For work, so. Um, New York's the best. You know, New York. And New York. I was so fucked up. Before I took the job at Capital, it was the month before I was offered. I was like walking in Brooklyn, Brooklyn Heights, which is where we live, between Cobble Hill. And I was like, I could never live anywhere else. This is perfect. And then a month mm. later, we're like, out. Were you stressed about coming to Kelly? Was it, that's a big super deal. Super stressful, yeah. It was super stressful. Did you want to come here? Um, we, I had been offered the same job or a different job, lower yeah. level three years before. So my wife and I had talked about it for three years. Yeah, like, yeah, if I, if I ever get offered the big job, would we do it? Yeah. And then we we're like, yeah, we do it. And we visited and thought about it. And then I got offered the big job and I was like, yeah, okay, I got to do it. And I was talking to Brian when he was in Toronto, stationed there for a couple of years trying mm -hmm. to get him to come out here. And he kept trying and trying and he finally made it, man. Now it's like, you could probably never go to live in the winter again, huh? You never say never. Oh, <laughs> never say never. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Yeah. Things, you know, yeah. Yeah. Life's strange. Right now, it's the same thing. You see a palm tree. I feel like I'm on vacation. Yeah, it does feel like. Yeah, you're wearing flip flops. I love putting shoes on. Um. Yeah. It's, it is like you live in a vacation town. I drive up uh, sometimes up the uh, 101, right yeah. on the water. It, like I have to roll phone calls and they're not zooms. Yeah. And just I can't believe it with people mm -hmm. surfing and shit. Like, like this is so beautiful in the. When you get the those days where the the water is kind of briny, kind of yeah. east coast, it's like the best. Yeah. And I I'm just so up, up through Malibu, like blown away. Do you surf? That. Uh, no, that's like my dream. I just started a couple weeks a couple weeks ago. Stop. I turned fifty, and my son's ill. How, surfer. how are you learning how to surf? Just t teaching myself on a long board, like it's like a foam board. It's a long board. Yeah. So me and my friend we go. My son's way out there. Uh -huh. I'm only in like in the um the whitewash. Right. I'm learning. Yeah. I, I stood up like. 16 times in this past covid yeah and this, this covid lockdown <laughs> yeah so i go I, I was going and watching max i'm like yeah. fuck it i'm gonna try i got a wetsuit i got yeah. a board it's so fun i i can't explain it to you because i'm a i'm a full-on skateboarder for life yeah but max was showing me all these docs that you know these people like talking about the spiritual connection to the ocean and mother nature and all yeah. this stuff and when you're on a board and you it's it's controlling you and oh you're on God. the ocean i gotta and do it. Just, yeah. it looks surreal it looks doesn't even look really you're going yeah. on a wave yeah it's literally I, like I what you I always have the thing what you want most is what you're scared to ask for or something yeah like in my you like, should try it man and that's the thing like I really think surfing is like it's gotta be you like, should okay, try. I, try I just learned at 50 you should, he's yeah. gonna start, Brian's gonna start trying too right yeah, I did it a couple of times and now I'm here it's like yeah. you're here you gotta do it but yeah. same thing get a foam board it's not yeah. too expensive what suit you just go ahead yeah alright go to El Porto go to Malibu go everywhere like yeah it's it's fun like standing up my first time I was like screaming like a kid like yeah and I'm in the whitewash like I'm barely I don't want to go over my head yet. My son's out there, like yeah, I'm not front yeah. side back. My son's like, right. I'm like, I'm good, but it's really fun to be in the ocean, especially during a pandemic. When you're at the ocean, it's just it's just Toby, life. I'm inspired by this. Yeah, it's you, just this may be a life changing <laughs> moment. I'm serious. I, know, I never thought I was going to. My surf. grandfather learned skiing at 50, and that was always like a family story. Like at 50, yeah. he learns to ski. I'm like, whoa. Now what else are we doing? Now what now else are we time. doing? And listen, and listen, going to, here, yeah. and like going to the ocean and being away from all this shit and your phone and fucking this pandemic yeah. and the, with the ocean and the sounds. It all right, smell, all right, I'm gonna do it. It's so beautiful, okay. man. It's saving my life, to be honest. I was losing my mind the first couple of months, mm. getting beat down by like not playing a show and the news and this and that. Oh. And when I go to the ocean, I leave my shit in the car and I just go in the ocean. It's fucking. Right. It's cold. I don't give a fuck. I don't. I don't care. Like August is the warmest month, but now it's starting to get a little bit cold. 
but I don't even care. I have a wetsuit even now, but like, just to stand up on a surf. My my son inspired me to surf. Yeah, it's the same reason that drive that communing with nature thing, the thing mm-hmm. that makes you feel grounded. Yeah, like if it does that, I'm in. Well, what's it gonna hurt to fall off your board? We fall yeah. before you fall in the water. Yeah. It's not like skating. Yeah, it's not like you're trying to drop it on a half pipe right now. At right, 50. right. At forty nine, that would be a bad thing. <laughs> forty forty nine. Without, without I'm not aging yeah, you, yeah, yeah. but yeah, yeah, it's it's incredible, man. Yeah. I, we should all, we should all go surfing, Brian. You should definitely. Yeah. It's it's like the next chapter of my life. Like yeah. I get it why people have this connection to it. Right. I'm not there yet, but when I was on that board, yeah. and it's not like skating, where like I'm gonna ollie on that curb, or I'm gonna drop in, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it this trick. Right. You, you you're in control of that kind of. Yeah. But you're on this board, and it's just like, dude, right, rad. Even falling's fun and. I'm in. All right, cool. Yeah. And Brian, you're in? Well, I appreciate your time. I really appreciate coming Thank to my house. Thank you for having me. This has been a great conversation. We talked for almost two and a half hours. That's awesome. Is that right? Oh my yeah, God. man. This is your life. This this is your life. Um, Nate, thank you for everything you contributed to the world. Thank you for your band, treating my band with so much respect, like a family. Thank you for your inspiration, the music you put out into the, the planet that helped inspire people in a positive way. I'm super happy about your journey, everything you've been through, where you're at now. And I'm honored to call you my friend, and I appreciate you being yeah, here. Yeah, thank you for having me. And it's I'm really not going fun. anywhere. I'm around. I know. I think we should well, surf, though. I, I'm into East that. Co- three East Coasters should be surfing out here. And running. What? And running. And yeah, and he running. runs, too. Yeah. You need to inspire me to run, because he's tried to inspire me to run. Yeah. He runs like six in the morning. Yeah. And like he's he's got better legs than me. Yeah. I don't know what it is. I love running once I'm running, but like you were never a big runner anyway, right? Your whole life. No. That's something you started in your 50s, became a runner, kind of. A little bit before. A little bit before. The 48 started being I used to run on tour. Okay. With Tim. Okay. Yeah, that was helpful too. It's good for your brain. It really is. Really good for your brain. And it feels good for your body. Oh, it feels once good. you get started, once yeah. you have good music. Yeah. And... Yeah. Well, fuck. Awesome, Nate. Thank you okay. so much for being Thank here. Thank you. Man. Was... Where can people find you at? Like, what's your Instagram? Oh, let me look at. Look at uh, <laughs> hold on. I think it's, it's Nate just Albert, my, isn't it? I think it is. But let me just make sure here. I'll make sure. I think it's Nate Albert. Nate Albert. Yeah, Nate Albert at Instagram. Yeah. I'm on this because Joe Gittleman told me about it. Okay. It's good to be on so the kids yeah. can find it. And then you. It, Twitter's N and then letter number eight. Okay. Albert. Nate Albert. And the Boston's just the Mighty Boston's on Instagram? I think, I think, uh, no, what, it, no, it's Boston's official. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah, they'll find it. They'll find it. Yeah. Just so the kids can find you. Yeah. Yeah. And Nate, uh, Al- the Instagram is the easiest, the Nate Albert Instagram. I'm all not, right. Awesome. Okay, yeah, signing off. Boss Tones official. That's Boss the Tones official. Yeah. And when's that record coming out? I have no idea. Okay. Yeah, Dicky. You no got to get Dicky like, on here for all the next. specifics. I'm getting him next. Yeah. People have been asking for him, so I'll make yeah. it happen. Yeah, get him on here. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening. Um, please rate, review, uh, subscribe. If you haven't subscribed yet to this podcast, please do that. And whatever platform you are listening to this on, I'm glad you found me. You can rate me and review me on there also. So thank you guys sincerely for the support. I cannot wait for you guys to hear the next one.